Welcome to the Wealth Radar Podcast, where we scan the landscape and navigate the noise of investing and personal wealth. I'm Paul Fowler, and I'm here with my brother Jason. We're certified financial planners from Fowler's Group, and in this episode, we'll be talking with one of Cairns, if not Queensland, if not Australia's leading lawyers, Luckbeer Singh. Welcome to the uh, Wealth Radar, Luckbeer. Hi guys, thanks for that warm introduction. <laughs> it's good to have you, mate. Um, there's plenty that we can pick your brain about today, but we'd like to spend some time discussing an area of speciality for you, which is around business acquisitions and transitions and sale, uh, and talking about what's involved in preparing a business to get its best chance of success. And hopefully we can squeeze in a couple of tips for those that are out there listening at the end of the podcast who are thinking about this thing themselves. We've got lots of clients that are in business. It's a big part of our practice over a long period of time is people are in small to medium enterprises. So it's quite uh, an interesting topic. It's a little bit off the normal financial planning stuff that we've been doing. But before we get into that topic, our first question is, why a career in law? What dragged you to the law? Uh, that's a very interesting question. It takes me back many years, but it's a combination of things. Uh, at high school, I was very strong on the humanitarian subjects. Uh, the family was involved in small business and I saw them go through various legal issues. And then I think the third thing is, you know, when you come from an ethnic background, there's always an expectation it's law and medicine. So a combination of all those factors. <laughs> and I knew really early at 15 that that's what I wanted to do. So it made that path for me very clear. And I've absolutely enjoyed my career. And this space when we're talking about businesses and the acquisition side and just that whole business life cycle journey it is the most fascinating place mm. to be because you're dealing with the most amazing entrepreneurs and individuals. So I love that fact. Yeah, that's, that's and, awesome. And, and your business, McDonald's Law, has been around for well, 100 plus years and, and it's gone through plenty of changes it, itself and, and of recent times going through uh, more change. And I think the relationship that we have, fellas, have with McDonald's, I think it comes back, there's a lot of symmetry between the two businesses in regards to um, – we're not transactional businesses, and you certainly are. I know we've had conversations over the last couple of years. You're, you're really focused on building partnerships with your clients and re long-term relationships and providing outcomes, which is quite similar to what, what, we, what we do. So, But when we're talking about acquisitions, can you just give us a – from a legal – what does that actually mean? What does it mean? That, what do you do? So the acquisition side is where you've got an enterprise that is in the process of – selling. So there is an opportunity for someone to acquire a business or an enterprise and for someone to exit. So there's a buy side and a sell side. And that is usually done in the context where there is an opportunity for a new aspiring person to take that business with their own vision and to turn it into something greater. And there are so many elements that might be involved at that point in time that might drive that particular deal. So what I love about the acquisition side is it's a culmination of a journey, a journey on the sell side and an opportunity on the buy side. And our role as advisors is to bring both those parties with their different interests based on who we act for, ultimately over the line. And from there, great things happen. And so, so do many businesses who are, you know, when they come to you in that place, have many businesses thought about this in advance or is it pretty much most of the time, holy hell, I've got to a spot, I, I either I'm, I'm too old, I want to do something else, or it's got really big and I need some, is it sort of a moment in time decision or do people plan for this stuff? Those that are well advised are absolutely planning in advance, but there are many that aren't and it's opportunistic 
that they might fall into a scenario where they might be exiting. So I'm a big believer in looking at the three phases. So looking at the early setup, when you are setting up your business. So looking at that full business lifecycle journey starts at the beginning. And in that first phase, it's about focusing on what your end goals are and it's about managing risk and reward. Because as we know in business, there are ups and downs and many businesses don't make it to a transaction or an acquisition acquisition or sale. So in that first phase, I'm a strong believer in getting very high quality advice about your structuring. And what that should consider is how do you ensure if the worst case events happen, you still walk away with something, you've still got something left there. That involves a mixture of looking at companies, trusts, protected spouse strategies. And it's not just a matter of going, we'll whack out a company and you'll be right. Mm. It's actually having deep thought with your team of advisors, usually an accountant, lawyer, and a financial advisor to get that right. So it's not necessarily about when we, uh, with your startup business, it's not necessarily the focus, hey, look, I'm, I'm buying a business now. What I've got to do to sell it in two or three years' time? It's more setting up from a protection um, point of view in regards to ownership structure, um, as, you, as you said, spouses and, and, and what have you. Yeah, you're That's bal- the focus you're, in the you're early bal- stages. You're balancing multiple factors and mm. everyone's different in what is weighted greater. Mm-hmm. There's tax considerations, there's protection considerations, there's obviously making sure you can stream your income and ultimately think about the exit scenarios that occur. It's about investment and capital growth that might be required in that structure. Flexibility then becomes a big factor. But there are ways to work through each of those with the relevant individual and people behind that business to get what is best fit for them. Do, do, you, do you deal with, um, sorry, this is a little bit off left field, but do you deal with the, uh, businesses, say startup businesses, for example, um, we see a lot of them now, people are creating mm. applications yep. and, and what have you, and they're getting a business to a certain point and then, you know, and they've, they've put a certain amount of money in it and then they're out of money and then they have to put it out to the to the mm. world and try and get some seed capital and that sort of stuff. Do you, do you deal in that Absolutely. area? Absolutely. We've done, this year alone, we've done a number of deals in that space where external capital comes in and helps to accelerate the vision of the founder. And in those scenarios, you're trying to balance the interests of the founder, which are normally around control mm-hmm. and dilution and future and current dilution and continued growth to achieve the ultimate strategic outcome they're looking for, whether that's an exit, trade sale, or an ongoing strong revenue stream. Usually in that scenario, shareholders agreement is put in place to regulate those different interests and those what-if scenarios. So that is, if there is a future round of investment, how does that play out from a dilution point of view? How does the day-to-day control exist from a founder point of view moving in from an investor point of view do they have board rights or do they have observation rights do they have rights to certain information and reporting and on the other side what happens if you get a offer that's lobbed in how does that process work can the founder just go through a process and sell or can they block potentially those other parties because you've got a great offer and all those scenarios if you do not have that agreement in place, lead you to the doors of a lawyer and you end up in a stash. Yep. And trust me, that's a space <laughs> that we see a lot of people come to us and that's where it costs a lot of money. So the idea of getting that shareholders agreement in place up yep. front 
not only just ensures that everyone's on the same page because you've had some hard conversations about mm -hmm. difficult topics, it sets you up for success because it avoids those nasty legal problems mm. which you're trying to avoid. So it's about thinking, it's like anything, right? proper planning creates good outcomes. Jason, what I always say to people is, look at the number one asset you have in the world. That's yourself. Yep. Yep. And you see different people in different spectrums about how they look after that number one asset. For me, I know it's very important to have a very holistic plan. So you have a health plan, you know, in that you encompass the nutrition that you have and you might see a dietitian or a nutritionist. You have a fitness plan and you'll see obviously various types of fitness advisors. You'll have a routine around that. You'll have some supplements that you put into that mix. You'll have your GP for day-to-day -day and other checks. You'll have specialists where required and you'll have this team around you because you know you need to optimize yourself. It's the same thing with business. And what we find is different people at different points in time realize the value of having that holistic plan. And what generally happens is when you start, it's small and you're just trying to get through, make some money. And as you grow and your business is growing, you build in confidence and you also start thinking about what are the opportunities. And hopefully at that point, you've got yourself a really good team. And these are the type of conversations you're having mm. and hopefully unlocking the huge opportunity side of it. So it's not just about managing downside risk. No. It's always about the opportunity. And that's what I think the good advisors understand. Yeah, yeah. and I, sorry, Paul, I was yeah. gonna say, I, I, I look back and you know, our business has done a transition from, from, from dad to us, even though he's still around, we've done equity transition. But I think that the big learning in that for us was, or was dad basically saying, I could carry on doing what I'm doing. At some point, I'm not gonna be able to do it anymore. Is it better to start a transition to others and I'll have a smaller piece of a bigger growing pie, right? Yeah. Is that the sort of mentality that business owners get to or? Different people have different desires and outcomes. There's certain entrepreneurs that are very happy being the sole decision maker because that's the way they want to operate and that's the space they enjoy. And they may well get capital investment from other parties, but it'll be on that strict condition. Whereas there's others that want to have a larger group. They want to be able to share the burden. They want to tap into the expertise of other people and they want skin in the game from those people. What we found recently through this COVID phase has been the issue of retention has been mm. very big on yep. many businesses. And we've been giving a lot of advice around how do you potentially have a retention strategy which leads to equity? So that pathway from individual bonuses to a pool bonus around a group of key executives or a key group of employees which then moves into some sort of equity position. So that pathway to equity is a retention as well as an opportunity to grow, as well as a succession exit strategy. So you, you've got a business that's already established. You've got, um, you know, us for example, you've got uh, three or four people involved in the business and you um, want to grow and there's maybe opportunity to bring people in as, as, as shareholders. Do we have to, do we have as current shareholders and owners have to, what do we have to do? What do we have to think about? Because obviously the, um, the plan has changed, but we're bringing people for, for, for example, us outside the, the family. I mean, is there a difference between family businesses and mm -hmm. external mm -hmm. structures? Are there a heap of different things you've got to think about there? The family one's always interesting because mm. I think the, the biggest disputes I've ever seen have actually been between family businesses yes. where they've blown up. Yep. And then the emotion of trying to negotiate an outcome clouds getting an, a quick result, but also a cost-effective result. So I always say whenever you have any type of business or enterprise, 
where there is more than one owner or one family owner, then you should consider having some agreement on that. Yep. It's, it's basic uh, protection for yourself. But in terms of that scenario, bringing people in, it needs to be driven by the existing owners. They need to, I believe they need to think about, is that a path they wish to move on? They should go through a process of getting some advice from their accountant as to the tax implications. What does it look like from a CGT disposal point of view? Um, sometimes it's actually a really good time to be doing that before you hit that $6 million net asset threshold. Mm -hmm. And you can still access those small business CGT concessions. So timing can actually become very, very important. And then on the other side, as you're bringing people through, are they the right people? Mm -hmm. Have you actually tested them? Do they have a owner mentality or an employee mentality? Which is why I'm a strong believer of not going from zero to hero. Mm -hmm. I think you should step people through and having the pathway with group bonuses where you have KPIs that test their ability to think and react and operate like an owner will tell you whether they're truly ready. And then you can obviously work through what does that look like from a mechanical point of view? What is all the transaction elements that are involved? What's the protection measures with a shareholders agreement? If you're a majority owner, you usually want to have some rights to be able to undo things that might not yep. be the right in due course. So you'd probably control that and you'd need to make sure you're really clear with the people coming through. So one of the things, I've just come back from a, a study tour with the Global Association of Independent Advisors. We get together once a year firms all around the world and talk about this and there's a uh, talk about lots of things and one of the things that's been on the topic um, of discussion in in Montreal was about ownership transition or succession you know whether succession because succession could be a, a, a merger it could be a, a buyout it could be a whole bunch of ways mm. and and a couple of key themes that came out in that discussion was this I which which I really liked was this idea of a trans you can have a transition of leadership you can have a transition of governance and then you can have a transition of ownership and they don't have to happen all at the same time and to some of the things you were just saying that's a bit of a path right let's figure out whether people want to lead the business have the capacity to lead the business in some small way bigger way and then maybe transition some governance structures and then maybe equity comes at the end or maybe equity comes along the way and different people will see that at different times is that I mean, my 22 years of experience, both on the, the advisory side and also in business, my view is that staggered approach is ideal because ultimately any business is about people mm. and people, people are driven by a set of values. If you don't have that value alignment, you never create the right culture at the top. Your business is always going to struggle and be challenged to be able to achieve those ultimate goals because there'll be a complete misalignment. So the only way you're going to be able to truly test whether people have that value alignment is when they work through each of those stages because what someone says and does at a particular level is reflective of the role and responsibility on them. Once you put them into a different mindset and position where you have to transition to thinking more like an owner, you really need to see if that person can step into that mindset and approach. And is it the same as you? Mm. Is, there, is there a okay? Was well, there a process like how to as a business owner? We want to go down this track, but you know, I run a business. I, I'm a financial planner. I'm not. Um, I don't know how to 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 build an, an employee to understand what necessarily the values are, what the KPIs are, what the, the different areas I need them to to excel or not excel in. Is there a process that I can sort of go through or a training program, say, so to speak, or or, or someone to talk to 
to help you along that track to, to, to get an understanding and feel to, yeah. to work through that with, with certain employees? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a combination approach. I think the three key components in that is, first of all, from an accounting point of view, I think you need to always be thinking about if I ultimately achieve the outcome of this person or persons becoming equity owners, what does that mean for me? That's critically important because mm -hmm. once you've started an expectation with your people, that's where they end up. Yeah. And then you go get that advice later on and work out, oh, actually, this is not what I thought it was going to be and it's going to cost me a lot of money. Yeah. I'm going to pay a lot of tax and I actually don't get much left in my hand. I can't really retire and achieve the outcomes I'm looking for. Well, you've created a big problem. Mm. The second part is obviously understanding from a legal point of view what those steps look like. How do those agreements get put in place? What are the different options? There's various approaches in how you might structure a scheme that works for you and there's both pros and cons mm -hmm. and there are benefits and different types of schemes available depending on the type of businesses that exist. And I think the third element then is that HR advisor, HR consultant, that strategic HR side. So how do you actually sit down with people and have those conversations? Mm -hmm. What's some of the drivers around the KPI structuring and then what's your reporting and working together to achieve those outcomes collectively. And depending on your strengths, you would need more or less yep. of some of those functions and degrees of advice. And I think possibly then also in that, if you're thinking about a transition at some point in the future, you need to be thinking about whether the right people, yet they actually exist, right? So one of the first stages may be actually figuring, well, if we're gonna take this business from A to B, who or what are the skill sets that I might need to add that would complement to go there, right? So it's not always just about the deal, it's about having the right people on the bus. If I go back to that uh, scenario Paul talked about, you're the founder and you get to the stage where you now need investment, the conversation that we always have is, is it more than money that this person brings? Because mm. if your expectation is that you need more than money, then what is it that other person's going to do and how do we ensure they deliver that? And more often from a business point of view and for all the success of a startup to achieve scale and growth, you actually need more than money. That more often or not is our conversation and I'll, you'll see the people in the ecosystem that drives many conversations. It's more than money, it's about other unlocks that those strategic partners and investors bring. And, and you mentioned it before, that the values is is a massive thing in it that, that they bring to the, the party. and. In the way that you want the business portrayed, you need that, that right mentality. That's it, aligned with everyone. It extends to everything. For me, and what I've also learned in, in life has been that you want to be surrounding yourself with people that share the same values. And that's why I love this space of mm. advising businesses, entrepreneurs, high net worth individuals, you know, corporations of all sizes and degrees, because you're finding your tribe, the people that you enjoy, because they've got those same values. They're passionate about what they do. They're looking to grow and develop. They understand the value of advice. They want to be something more than what they were yesterday. They believe in the collective. And that's where the great enjoyment happens yeah. in life. And life's too short to yeah, not yeah. be surrounding yourself yeah. with those people. That's why it's yeah. great working with the Fowlers Group and both yourselves is because we know we have that shared value in not only what we do as individuals and in our businesses, but the clients that we represent and act for. Yeah. Now, it, with for people out there that may be out there thinking about this stuff or or haven't really thought about it maybe this conversation's prompted a decision what what are the sort of um, 
topics or ideas that, you know, you've talked about planning for it, you've talked about making it the right people. What are the big common mistakes that people who want to go through this make? So if we move from that early startup, setup, scale up, growth stage to that, let's call it the pre-exit stage. Yep. Yep. In that pre-exit stage, I believe there are some key fundamental steps that need to be embarked upon on that preliminary process. The first one is around valuation and understanding what is your business worth. And that is where there are various advisors in this space, from accounting to valuers to corporate finance advisors, that can shed light on that. And what they'll do is they will analyze your business. They will look into your business and see how systemized it is, how much under management it is, what's the consistency of your maintainable earnings, what assets exist and what are the future capital requirements of that business, what's the scale and growth opportunities, what's that sector looking like in terms of future prospects and industry tailwinds or headwinds. So there's a multiple series of all these factors that go into determining valuation. I think that's a very good starting base. Mm -hmm. And the good advisors dissect those elements and many, many more. And you can understand where the strengths and weaknesses of your business lie from a sell side deal. So if you're looking to exit, someone's going to be looking at this from the other side. These are all the factors they're considering in weighing up their valuation. That should be done a number of years in advance. In fact, it should be done consistently if you are trying to constantly move your business up. And what you then do is you should have a targeted plan on picking the top two or three key priorities that can shift the dial. That the shifting of the dial should improve business performance, yep. but it will therefore also improve valuation. And if it improves valuation, it's going to improve attractiveness and hopefully increase the pool of potential buyers. Do you, do you find that before people, on average, before people go through that exercise, that their expectation of what the capital price is mm. is vastly different to the analysed price? Indeed, indeed. It, it can be a very interesting conversation to be having when they receive various reports and there's a misalignment. And the key there is to then sit down and work through all those elements. Yep. What you tend to find is then there is an increase in the understanding and appreciation of what goes into having a successful business from a acquisition sell side. People then refocus. The good people always refocus and put their effort and double down, triple down on those items. And that's what we also love, being part of that journey. So part of what we try to do is sit down and have these conversations and add value early on. Because in life, what you don't know, you don't know. The Donald Rumpfelds, right? And from a relationship point of view, Paul spoke about it earlier, that our our business and our firm believes, you know, our why, why do we get up every day and do Mm -hmm. what we do? It's to be the ultimate difference in the lives of our clients. And to do that, they could be just very simple conversations. They could be introductions. They could be connections. It could be opening up thinking. And these conversations are some examples of it. But having that deep one-on-one understanding of what is the strategic plan of this client and their business and where they're trying to take it, what are some of the challenges, what are some of the opportunities, where can we add some value and make a difference, which ultimately is very impactful. What, one of the... Um I think one of the areas we see uh, a bit with businesses, and I guess my question to you is at the exit stage where um, an individual's growing a business, highly successful business, time to sell, um, but essentially the business, you take that person out of the business, mm-hmm. it 
it's not the same, you know, that the drive isn't there or, or whether it's one person or if it's a collective group, um, once they've sold out of the business, if they're the drivers, it's very hard to, you know, your, your pool of uh, in, investors, I guess, gets a, gets a lot smaller. And we, Dad wrote a, um, or we wrote a book, sorry, when we turned 40 and one of the chapters was, um, yeah, you don't have a business unless you can shut the doors and drive around Australia, which which what the old man did yeah. um, in, in the early 80s. But um, when you get to exit stage, do you see that often, what people that get to exit stage and that, that simple part of the process they haven't actually thought about? Is that a common thing or, or not really? You do see that and that is why it's so important to be having conversations, giving advice and putting on the radar of people early because you still have time. There's no point getting to 65 and realizing that it's far too late. Yeah. There is no pivot. There is no moves you can do unless they're very hard and Hail Marys. Yep. Earlier on, working on how do you get this business into that position where it can run as much as possible on its own and it's only truly then you have a business. So yep. mm. you're spot on in terms of that commentary. Yeah, and so I, I imagine one of the other challenges too is if you've got an exceptionally successful business, if you haven't done all that planning and got all those structures in place, you know, suddenly it's too big for most people. Your normal pool of buyers doesn't exist, mm. right? Um, and so you, that's part of that. One of the questions I'm going to ask, is there some benefits in thinking about a combination of internal transition early or is it you, you know do you have to think differently if i'm selling to an external party as i'm selling to an internal mm. party or or they align do you think i'm a big believer in options yeah why limit yourself yep life's all about options and options will become very clear at a point in time but maximizing your options i believe is the key so what the process usually looks like in that early startup to pre-exit is you should be thinking about these elements. You should be having a game plan. You should have that advisor team that's giving you different options and giving you an understanding of what the market is like at any point in time. So if you're looking at the sell side, getting a constant view on where that market is moving and shifting, where is your business placed? And is there a window that you can take advantage of? Similarly, is there an opportunity internally is there a pathway for your key people that you believe could come through and that's a succession or exit option? And then is there an option where you're merging with other organizations, growing bigger and then having another tilt? Mm. So that all those combination of different options that exist should be on your playlist yep. and available for you to put into action at the right time. Now, can we get a bit... Um get some stories out and we love positivity on this this podcast so could you could you share with us a couple of I guess um and, and we haven't told the listeners that you've obviously got a, a business in uh sorry offices in Brisbane as well not just here in North Queensland um and you deal with um clients all around around mm. Australia and acquisitions all, all around Australia could you could you shed some light of some real success stories that that you guys have had? Not not mentioning any names of businesses and that sort of thing, but yeah, I'm really interested in yeah some of the the success that you guys have had in this area. I have to be very very careful here. Some of these are uh, obviously confidentiality <laughs> yeah, yeah. applies, but I'll yeah. try to talk about some examples where there's been uh, public notifications, mainly because they've been ASX listed transactions, yep. so they've been publicly notified. Uh, some of the ones that come to mind, and a really interesting one is uh, it was a business in by North Queensland a number of years ago. And I, I remember getting this call and we went out and had this conversation uh, and started to understand what this business was like and where they were placed. It was very unique and very specialist. 
And as we worked through that over time, they ended up in a scenario where they had an acquisition offer from one of the world's largest luxury brands, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the French-listed Hermes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And the acquisition was for this asset. It involved very complex and interesting elements to it. Uh, the exit price was published uh, subsequently on the exchange. You know, it was close to 100 mil. And uh, we went through this transaction. It had all the elements of both interesting regulatory aspects, amazing founders, amazing, amazing founders. Their story, and, and they don't like being mm. public, yep. is exceptional. And their thinking and their acumen and their understanding of so many elements is am- amazing. And we worked through that process and then they've continued on in doing some amazing outcomes for themselves and the community. Uh, that, that transaction showed many things. Great founders yep. Yep. from zero, from zero in 25, 30 years to achieve that. Uh, through determination, focus on their business, knowing that there was a market that was available, nailing that market, you know, locking down supply chains, yep. positioning themselves and then creating an attraction and a bidding war. Like that's a great mindset and approach and a great outcome that they achieved. And it was, it was amazing to work with them. Like I said, highly, um, yep. highly under the radar and they don't wish to be known, which is yeah, fantastic as well. And I love that. We, in, in Far North Queensland and I yeah. think Queensland generally, mm-hmm. we have so many people that are very humble and they, they, they're not looking for fame. No, they just want to get just on and do what they do. Business. They're just really good business people, entrepreneurs, great thinkers, passionate about what they do. They're not looking for the limelight. They're just looking to do good things for themselves and the community and achieve good results. Um, we recently closed a, a, a very large investment uh, transaction, uh, which involved one of the largest uh, major investment banks in mm-hmm. Australia and that transaction once again involves an amazing founder who's done incredible over a 20-year journey creating something from zero which is on a now a continued scale and growth up plan uh, then you had s- scenarios where you know you've had transactions involving uh, disputes you've had that family mm-hmm. scenario where you know yep. you've ended up acting for one party and they come to you and it's it's almost the end of the world because it's family members fighting and you're working through a process there and trying to get a really good outcome. And quite often you can get to an outcome where there is a, a one party buys the other out. Mm. And then what you find in those scenarios, which I've seen is, you know, them go on and have great success with the exit that they've made out of that. Uh, Do you so think that success has come because they've actually been through it, uh, that difficult transition and that's refocused them on well, what the end goal might be? Is that fair do you think in some of those cases experience teaches you many things <laughs> it? uh, Funny, isn't everyone it? goes you know if i only had known this when yeah. i was 20 right and that's what you see quite often and that's the other part is you know seeing great business people then share their experiences and journeys with those young entrepreneurs but it's ultimately when you've lived it that you truly understand it but I'll, you've just got to keep working on how do you get better as both a person and how do you get better in the way that you conduct your business and the outcomes you're looking for. And I think, I mean, my take on on all of this, and if I look at some of a number of our clients that have gone through transitions, whether they be generational transitions or, or ultimate sales to someone else, I think the, this, the commonality in that is a bit like your point to the first one. They actually had a fantastic business that they loved, they breathed, they were mm. very passionate about, and it was in 
in just about every case was singularly focused, right? They didn't try to be all things to all people. They just went, we're really effing good at this and away we're going to go, right? And, and I think that in some cases they're the opportunities that the external party's looking for or people inside the business are passionate to continue to be part of. Do you think that that's a fair statement? Yeah, if I look at the number of ASX entities that have acquired interests in uh, parties that we've acted for and business we've acted for, you see that common trend. You see someone that over time found something and they doubled down, tripled down, and they just kept going yeah. for that. Building, growing, achieving success and being very, very focused. And then ultimately you have large parties and a combination of listed entities and growth entities and investment banks and other large institutions looking for those types of businesses because they position themselves so well. And it's because of those founders and individuals and entrepreneurs and they deserve that success mm. because they've set themselves up for success. And generally they've given up a fair bit along the way yeah. to maximise that success, right? And a lot of people look at those deals, you know, whether it's $10 million, $100 million and think, well, that was obviously very easy, right? A lot of these people have gone long periods of their time where they didn't get paid, everybody else, like all of yeah. that stuff, right? They've, they've really had – and to do that, you've got to believe, right? Anyone that's been in business knows that it's hard. Mm. It is. There's moments where it looks like it could be the end. There's days that you go, why are you doing this? There's moments that you just go, maybe I was easier off just getting a salary and doing the basic things. But what I know about business people and the ones that are truly successful is those tough times make the great times. Yeah. They get through those hurdles, they find a way and they just keep finding success and they deserve it. Hmm, and absolutely. quite often though, you also know that most business people aren't necessarily taking a huge income as they're going out each year. They are reinvesting to their business because they're so clear in what they're trying to achieve. So if there is a large capital exit, they deserve that. If, if, you're, if you've built a business and you have a focus to build the business to sell and you've built these large businesses, multi-million dollar values, um, where do the buyers come from? Like where, where are they? Where is this pool of buyers? Them? How do they find them? Where do they come from? Do you Who instigates that? I know that I have a lot of conversations with uh, some key clients and people that you're in and around and it's about putting people in front of them that can create that. So there's a lot of corporate advisors, a lot of corporate finance teams and what they do is they are in the market in particular industries or specialties, both buy side and sell side. They would tend to sit down, work on what, you, what they see as the business in their strengths and weaknesses and evaluation sense, where they might see potential acquirers or investors. You would then get a mandate with them. They would go to market and then there would be an outcome. Mm. So the ranges there are your small business brokers through to large corporate advisors in significant investment banks. So there's a range and a gambit. And what it's about is finding the right fit for you, depending mm. on your business, where you're positioned, the industry, and the time in the cycle. Fit for you is, is what most is most important. Yep. Well, mate, it's been it's been fascinating, it's been awesome fantastic having you um, along with us this morning. Luck, be really appreciate. We've got a lot out of it, and I think that one of the, the, the well, the biggest insight for me, obviously, is very similar to our business. It's all about the planning, um, and the earlier you plan, the easier it's going to be down, down the track. Um, but really appreciate it. Um, thank you again, and I'm sure we'll get you back at, at some stage, mate, when we take our learner plates off with this uh, <laughs> podcast, <laughs> podcast stuff.
Absolutely. Once you got it into fifth gear, let me know. But <laughs> we didn't even get to the really exciting part is what happens when you exit. Oh, well, what is good. that? Yeah. What does that look like? So we'll keep that in store for ah, next time. Yeah, we yeah. didn't. Well, there we go. Because that is a completely different journey again. And once again, you start again. You, you look at your structuring. You look at yeah. how do you manage your estate planning and what impact are you now going to leave? Are you going to start investing in different businesses? Are you going to invest in property? Are you just going to retire completely? Actually, are you going to give it away to everyone? There is so much there. I think it's such Actually, a big I'd, topic. Actually, I'd love to do a follow-up yeah, just no, specific around that because I've already got a thousand questions around that. Yeah, and I think um, it ties in well with some other conversations yeah. we've had because there's so many aspects. As you mm. said, it's the so much energy has been put into such a long period of time and it's a bit we did a, a, a mm. conversation about the psychology of retirement this is this is the same but with a different focus on it right and people have got to go from this is what i was and who i was yeah. and how i've been to what do i do now right and i think that there's some fascinating elements in that so i think we'll do that as a part two that'd be definitely be fascinating because it gets into there's a whole lot of next level of detail right and um and i think the other thing paul to that's come out of today you know planning and preparing and thinking about flexibility and options making sure you've got the right people making sure you understand that you really i mean it's go, generally going to be more successful if you're actually passionate about what you do in the first place uh, i think that goes in life right doesn't matter whether it's a business or, or what you do and i think that they're just really good um, tips and it's been great for, for that so thanks mate very much for coming in we definitely will have a follow-up we may even have one after we'll see see how you go on the yeah your network downloading and listening <laughs> to you mate that might be good so mate it's been really good um, for everybody that's listening thank you head to the Waith Radar Facebook player give us some feedback if there's some particular tips you'd like us to catch up on in that next conversation when we go to phase two that'd be great and don't miss the next episode and thanks very much for listening and thanks again Lucky, for joining us it's been fascinating my pleasure thanks guys thank you cheers this podcast is for informational purposes only and the information contained is of a general nature and may not be relevant to your particular circumstances The circumstances of each investor are different, and you should seek advice from a professional financial advisor who can consider if particular strategies and products are right for you. In all instances where information is based on historical performance, it is important to understand this is not a reliable indicator of future performance. You should not rely on any material on this podcast to make investment decisions and should seek professional advice. Fowler's Group ABN 5710524484 is an authorised representative number 230575 and credit representative number 403265 of FYG Planners Propriety Limited ABN 5509497254 Australian Financial Services and Credit Licence Number 224543